a Radio 191 FM podcast. Mr. Speaker. All right, it is a Monday morning, so it is that time now. Time to talk all things politics with Mr. John Moore. Morena to you, John. Kia ora koutou. How are we today, my friend? Yeah. Bit chilly. Bit chilly. Uh, yep, 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 yep. I didn't get any snow at my place on the weekend. Did you get summer? Yours, you're quite high. No, not really. No, I all right, um, let us begin. Today we're going to have a, a special on the rise of right-wing populism in Asia, and we're going to start talking about Kashmir. Um, the state of Kashmir, uh, well, Jammu and Kashmir, has been stripped, stripped of its autonomy by the Indian BJP-led government, uh, with them saying that this is a correction of a historical blunder. What's going on, John? Why and why now? Yeah, so this, this is a huge deal. Uh, uh, Kashmir's Muslim authority uh, region, uh, part is controlled by India, and the rest is controlled by Pakistan. Both uh, claim sovereignty over the whole of Kashmir. Um, uh, since India's independence and Kashmir being incorporated into India, Kashmir has um, um, had a status where some um, autonomy uh, is able to um, have some autonomy over its laws, its own flags, and also um, being able to control the sale of lands uh, in Kashmir, which basically uh, allows state to retain the demographic characteristics of that state so that um, basically uh, a whole lot of this from other parts of India can't move into Kashmir, buy up land and turn it into um, a Hindu minority state for example um, India is currently ruled by a Hindu nationalist um, um, regime, the BJP uh, somebody even called it Actually, raised him and then some of the more harshest critics would be the BJP Hindu fascist type party. I wouldn't go that far myself, but certainly, um, we at least. And part of the actual platform is to, um, Hindu Hey, John, I'm just have to stop you there. We're having a bit of trouble with the phone line. You're, oh, you're cutting in and out. Um, so I don't know if you're, uh, maybe if you could move around, go s- somewhere with a bit more outdoor flow, perhaps. Okay, how do I sound now? Yeah, you sound a little bit better now. Okay. Let's see how it goes. Okay, so yeah, just to go back to uh, what's happened with Kashmir, the um, current Indian regime led by a Hindu nationalist party, the BJP, uh, has revoked um, Kashmir's uh autonomous status. Now, Kashmir is, a, is the only Muslim-majority area in India, um, and it's um, both Pakistan and India claim sovereignty over the whole of Kashmir, so it's a highly disputed area. Um, its limited autonomy, autonomy allowed Kashmir to make some of its own rules, laws, and have its own flag, and also to 
to control the demographic characters of Kashmir. So um, people outside of Kashmir couldn't just come in and buy up land. Uh, which sort of cemented that Muslim majority in Kashmir. Um, all those um, regulations have been removed, uh, and this is generally seen as part of the BJP government's um, uh, agenda to to cement India's Hindu status. And basically, for Hindu chauvinists, Hindu nationalists um, in India, who um, uh, in their hundreds of millions, uh, the, the idea that um, you have a Muslim-majority state in India that has some autonomy just represents a a complete challenge to the idea that actually India is a a Hindu state where um, any religious minorities should recognise their place and and bow down to the Hindu nation, so to say. Well, as you were saying before, it's a bit of a hotbed for violence, is Kashmir, uh, and one of the most contentious areas on Earth. Um, but how is it playing out in the wider area, the wider region? Well, since the founding of India um, and the, the creation of um, the, the state of Pakistan is a, a separate um, Muslim nation. There's been huge tensions between Pakistan and India. Um, there's virtually, even though um, both countries border each other uh, and are, are, are culturally and uh, very similar, and have a um, uh, yeah, um, the uh, both countries had claimed sovereignty over this area, Kashmir, and there's been several wars that have broken out um, over Kashmir, and it continues to be uh, a hot point of dispute for both countries and if you if you read sort of English language papers from both countries Kashmir is always um, a, a leading story so um, Pakistan is obviously not very happy uh, with this move by India um, and it will certainly stoke up more tensions. One problem is that um, there is a uh, an independence movement in Kashmir. Uh, there's various independence groups, uh, some secular, but more and more increasingly Islamist. And whenever things flare up in Kashmir with these independence groups, Pakistan always is blamed by the Indian regime. Um, and, and this creates more and more tensions. Now, what we've got to remember is that Pakistan and India both have a, enough nuclear weapons to wipe each other out. Uh, this would lead to meet hundreds of millions of deaths if there was a, uh, a full-on nuclear war between Pakistan and India. And in the past, it's come close to a nuclear war. Um, now, with this Hindu nationalist regime in India um, stoking up tensions with its own Muslim population and the residents of Kashmir, this could very well have a flow-on effect, or probably will have a flow-on effect, with its um, tensions with Pakistan. It's interesting. Um, so, is this India turning its back on its kind of, you know, on its past, that whole, like, um, ethos of Gandhi? Oh, very much, yeah, very much so, and this has been happening for decades now. Um, with uh, at the time of the independence movement, the, the dominant political movement was uh, the Indian Congress Party, uh, which took power after India gained um, independence, and, and Gandhi was a supporter 
uh, although critic at the same time, of the Congress Party. The Congress Party promoted itself as left-wing, as socialist, uh, as humanistic, as secular. Um, however, uh, the party was dominated by um, uh, people from a Hindu background, at least. Uh, the, the party didn't address the concerns of Muslims who felt they were being cut out of the uh, uh, political sphere in India, and that certainly uh, led to um, uh, Muslim leaders who were initially part of the Congress party breaking off and then advocating for a separate uh, nation of Islam, of Muslims, which became Pakistan. So those tensions have always existed, and those tensions have gone back centuries, even before the pre-colonial era, between um, Muslims and Hindus. Uh, However, what's different now, what has been different over the last couple of decades, is that there's been the development of this Hindu chauvinist, Hindu nationalist movement, uh, which has been able to capture hundreds of millions of votes. Now the BJP, the leading Hindu chauvinist um, party, uh, dominates power, uh, has uh, very successfully won the last two national elections, uh, has um, relegated Congress to uh, a, a very minor uh, and, and almost significant party now, um, and uh, has, has promoted the idea, the ideology that, no, India is not um, uh, a secular nation, a, a multi-religious um, nation, but is a nation of and for Hindus. Well, I mean, why didn't... I've always wondered why Kashmir didn't go with Pakistan in the first place when the Pakistan state was created, after mm. when independence became about. And, and why doesn't India just let it go if it is a Muslim majority? Well, um, it's a rather complex history, but basically um, when the British ruled over uh, um, British India, which ne- which includes what is now Pakistan mm. and Bangladesh, um, uh, some of the areas had limited autonomy with their own uh, uh, rajas, kings, or um, uh, Muslim sultans, basically. Kashmir was in a very unusual situation in that it had a, a, um, very much a Muslim majority, but it actually had a, a Hindu king. At the time of independence, that Hindu king was the one who was, had the right to decide whether he would be um, part of Pakistan, bring Kashmir to Pakistan or India and he was differing um, from what I can remember Pakistan um, brought troops into Kashmir uh, which led to a response from India um, a war broke out effectively between the two nations over Kashmir uh, a peace agreement was uh, eventually came about which led to Pakistan controlling part of Kashmir and India claiming the rest or controlling the rest of Kashmir but with both nations claiming sovereignty over the whole of Kashmir. Now the question of why doesn't India just give up on Kashmir? Well, India doesn't even really recognise the legitimacy of Pakistan. It, it sees um, what was um, the whole British-controlled India subcontinent as really a region uh, that that, um, that India should be legitimately uh, ruling over. Um, at the time of independence, uh, the Congress Party would have argued that that should be a multi-religious, multi-ethnic, secular state. 
home. Uh, with the BJP, however, uh, it presents Muslims in India uh, as effectively outsiders, as an other, as a threat. Um, and um, uh, the most fanatical elements in the BJP and the wider Hindu nationalist movement would say that basically uh, Muslims should either get out or they should convert to Hinduism. All right. Um, well, let's move on to uh, the rise of the right in other Asian states. Um, where is nationalism taking a foothold, and and why? Um, it, it's taking a foothold throughout uh, Southeast Asia and South Asia, for example. Uh, and um, so, uh, from the rise of Buddhist chauvinism in, in Myanmar, with the target being Muslims, uh, in Sri Lanka, there's been a, a long history of Buddhist chauvinism, uh, with the target um, in the othering of the Hindu and Muslim minority. In, um, in Indonesia and Malaysia, uh, we're certainly seeing the continued rise of um, Islamism, uh, right-wing Islamic political forces. Um, and in, in Malaysia, that's mixed in with, a, with a ethnic chauvinism with the um, dominant Malay population. In, uh, of course, in in the Philippines, we have a they have their own Trump-like figure with President Duterte, uh, who who has come to power on the back of fears around, um, especially around crime. Um, uh, so he's led this uh, type of war and crackdown on crime, which has led to um, uh, thousands upon thousands of um, either drug dealers and even just drug users being killed uh, by state forces or by um, forces with the support of the state. So it's a phenomena throughout Southeast Asia um, there's different reasons, I think, to the rise of this right-wing nationalism and populism in Asia compared to the West, but there's also similarities as well. The big difference in, in Asia is that the economies are actually on the rise. Uh, so whereas um, someone like Trump uh, coming to power in um, US was, was very much a, around the idea that America is at economic decline and we need a strong... Uh, authoritative leader who who pushes a American first agenda. In Asia, the, the economy is actually on the rise. There's less unemployment. People are getting better off, but there are huge concerns over grotesque levels of inequality. Um, people are uh, often hugely in debt and surviving on on debt. Uh, there's huge levels of corruption throughout society, um, and also people are very aware in South in Southeast Asia and South Asia that um, their economic position is very precarious. That yes, the economies are on the rise, but some of them are sort of starting to flatten out, such as in India, um, and and. Uh, if we remember back to the Asian crisis, which is, is, is a real memory for people in Asia back in the late 90s, where economy after economy completely collapsed and, and people felt completely devastated. So even though you've got that, that rise in, in economic um, growth, people don't feel secure. Uh, people are generally unhappy with their governments and level corruption, and especially the perception of huge levels of crime. So this is allowed sort of populist demagogic leaders to step in, uh, either push a sort of a ethnic nationalist, religious chauvinistic or um or um overall sort of nationalist uh 
agenda to come to power to sort of say that um, strong authoritative leaders can lead our nation to greatness. Um, Myanmar's an interesting one, I guess, because everybody knows and loved Aung San Suu Kyi. Um, Not many people anymore. Though. No, no, and, and that's the thing. And the uh, Rohingya people are being per- have been persecuted. Many have left for uh, Bangladesh. Um, you know, and I think it's still quite confusing for a lot of people as to what's really happened over there. Mm. I mean, there's, there's actually with the Buddhist chauvinism that you see in Sri Lanka, there, there's very much a direct link between um, uh, what's happening in Myanmar, Sri Lanka, and to a lesser degree, Thailand, with the with the rise of the internet, and and also with the uh, with um, Ironically, with the, um, with some democracy being introduced to Myanmar, which has allowed people to sort of push forward various uh, contrasting views, you've got to link up between these um, Buddhist uh, right-wing chauvinists. Um, B- Buddhism chauvinism has existed in Sri Lanka um, pre predating its independence and the nation was very much founded on the on the basis that it, it, it is a nation for Buddhists and, and this obviously put the large um, Muslim and Hindu minority in a precarious position but now this this basic form of Buddhist chauvinism has been exported to places like Myanmar um, and in a country with extreme poverty um, and there is witnessing growth but people are you know still face incredible hardships um, leaders are able to use the fear of the Muslim other especially of the Rohingya people saying that the the outsiders have come from Bangladesh they threaten our way of life uh, um, they're utilising terrorism uh, etc to um, uh, challenge the ordinary Myanmar person, they're able to use this form of ethnic and religious chauvinism to sort of cement their own power Um, and the military does this um, Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, the great liberal hope, uh, she simply um, plays along with this uh, um, attack on the Muslim minor- um, minority. And amongst the ge- general population, there's just widespread um, uh, hatred towards um, to Muslims, especially the Rohingya Muslim people. So... Um, uh, even though in the West we tend to see Buddhism as a very peaceful religion, um, any religion and any ideology uh, can be uh, sort of transformed into a, a reactionary vehicle, especially for democratic, um, demagogic political leaders to actually rise to power. All right, finally, should we be concerned here in New Zealand? I mean, this, a lot of this is happening in Southeast Asia and in our backyard. Uh, is there anything we should really worry about? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, um, uh, the, the, these, these divisions and this rise of ethnic chauvinism, of religious chauvinism and nationalism in these countries um, does it have the ability to destabilise that whole region. 
Um, so, for example, in, in India, uh, it's very likely that we're going to see um, a, a resurge of of, um, of militancy in Kashmir um, against the Indian government, and this could lead to conflict between Pakistan and India, even a war. Um, um, and, and just generally, this form of chauvinism tends to divide society. So, uh, with those divisions, um, yeah, you can have violence break out. You can uh, um, have insurgency movements rise up um, against the government. So it can destabilise whole areas, which clearly affects the economies. New Zealand has trading relations with all these countries, so um, that is put under threat. Um, and just generally, we are part of that that region, and especially in, in, in India. You know, um, a breakout of, of conflict between Pakistan and India would be disastrous for the world, really. Mm, indeed, indeed. Oh, well, we'll have to keep an eye on this. It seems like no matter where you go, right, right-wing populism is on the rise. Yeah, uh, both the West and, and the East. And it talks to the failure of those previous secular governments, those previous uh, left-wing and uh, uh, nationalist governments that came about after the colonisation period. Um, um, and, and so these these right-wing populist leaders have, have been able to sort of uh, utilise those failures. All right, um, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much, John. Have yourself a wonderful Monday, my friend, and we'll talk again tomorrow for our political roundup. For sure. All right, cheers, mate. That was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more at r1.co.nz or wherever quality content is found.